Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. One of the reasons that I believe that God blesses us is because He loves us, just like we want to bless our children. But I also believe that God wants us to be a blessing. And I've seen this over and over and over again. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests have seen, in different ways, how God can take troubled moments of our past and heal them, using them to bless others in the present. Pastor Robert Morris and singer-songwriter Matt Marr. Robert Morris is the founding senior pastor of Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. As a boy, Robert grew up in a church-going family, and he learned he had a knack for speaking to others. After a few rocky years as a teen and an unexpected encounter with God, Robert grew in his faith. Today, he tells us about the winding road to becoming a pastor and starting Gateway Church, and how he encourages Christians to be good stewards who give abundantly, which he writes about in his new book, Beyond Blessed. I'm Robert Morris, and I'm the founding senior pastor of Gateway Church. We're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We have uh, seven campuses, and we have two more campuses that we're going to be planting this year. I grew up in uh, East Texas. And uh, it was probably a medium-sized town, and I grew up with good Christian parents. We went to church two or three times a week. So I grew up never doubting that Jesus was the Son of God. Never never even had a doubt, really. But I didn't know Him as Savior. When I was uh, young, I actually um, entertained people. I started doing stand-up comedy. Uh, I started doing ventriloquism. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I actually entertained about 1,200, a group of about 1,200, which was a pretty big group for when you're 12 years old. Uh, and I loved it. I loved performing. When I was in high school, I got involved in drama, and I, I loved making people laugh. And I could tell that I had this communication gift. And so I grew up always thinking I was a Christian, but then I started going my own way, started unfortunately getting involved with the wrong crowd. Uh, marijuana was really big when I was growing up, um, and I started smoking marijuana as a young teenager, and I, I liked the feeling of kind of escaping my problems. And even when you grow up in a good Christian home, uh, you got problems. You don't feel like anyone likes you. You feel like the kid at school who's the weird kid or something like that. So there was that escape. Every time I'd go to church, though, I would, I would know that what I was doing was wrong. And several times I rededicated my life. That was kind of the only system that we had was you get saved as a child, and then when you stray, you rededicate or recommit your life to the Lord. So I kept doing that. But finally, when I was 19 years old, uh, I was in a motel room, and a guy started sharing with me about truly giving control of your life to Jesus. And that, I, I don't know why, I guess it was just God's moment for, for me. That's when I realized 
that even though I believed in Jesus, I'd never given him my will. I'd never given him control, and I wanted to. I wanted to more than anything. So I said, Lord, the other thing you need to know is I can't change because I've tried to change, but I give you control of my life. Literally, from that moment on, I never wanted to go back to the old life. I'm not saying that I didn't make mistakes, that I haven't done a lot of things wrong since then because we're all human, but I've never wanted to go back to drugs. I've never wanted to go back to that old life. There's a, there, it's a different um, direction in my heart. I met my wife, Debbie, in high school. So I started dating Debbie uh, as my junior in high school and then senior in high school. And then we dated our first year of college and we got married after that. And so we, there was this restaurant where we would go and we would share a meal because we were on a very limited budget since we'd first gotten married, you know. And so we saved up to put like a $50 tip with a track for the waitress. And we started praying for her for a month. And so we left that big tip with this little booklet that told about Jesus. And when we went back later, she told us, hey, I read that little book that you left and I gave my life to Jesus. And I called my husband and I read it to him over the phone and he gave his life to the Lord too. And we said, oh, that's great, it's wonderful. And then in a moment, I just thought when she said she called her husband, maybe he was at home or he was at work. So I said, so where was your husband when you called him? And um, she, she put her head down like this and then she said, well, he's in prison. Uh, and a few years after that, we, we saw he got out of prison and Debbie and I were there the day that they both got baptized together. That was probably the start of me realizing I could actually use the resources that God had given me to bless someone. So after I got saved, this evangelist that led me to the Lord wanted me to travel with him and speak to young people. I started speaking in school assemblies. I started speaking in youth groups. So I was an evangelist, full-time evangelist for the first seven years of, of my married life. I started going when I was traveling as an evangelist, I started going to this really good church and I started growing in the Lord so much. And so I went on staff at the church where I was and became an associate pastor and loved it loved every minute of it. I attended that church for 16 years. I was on staff for 10 of those years, the last 10 years before we started Gateway Church. And then one day in my quiet time, very, very clearly, uh, the Lord spoke to me about planting a church. And so I talked to my pastor about it, talked to the elders about it, they prayed about it. They said, we, we give you our blessing. That church is now actually one of our campuses. And so we, planted Gateway Church then in um, 2000, and we've just been having a lot of fun helping people. We were only a little over a year old, maybe two years old as a church, and uh, James Robison, who has a television program, came to me and said, would you come on the program and teach on giving? And the reason he wanted me to is because I teach it differently than some people preach it. And that is, I teach that we get to give, we don't give to get. And he also asked me if you can write a book. And so I had to write the book very quickly, uh, but the book is called The Blessed Life. And it's uh, God's used the book in many languages and in many countries around the world. But the book is talking about that uh, God does bless us when we give, he does, but he blesses us when we give with the right heart or the right motive. 
And I think sometimes even the give to get message is, is the wrong motive the way it's preached. It's like give and you'll get, give and you'll get. And so our motive then is to get rather than our motive being to give. And really, that's not the right motive. One of the books I wrote that was the 16th book, that uh, it is called Beyond Blessed. And it doesn't mean being beyond blessed financially. It means it's beyond the blessed life. It's, it's living a life of blessing. It's living a life where we're blessed, but we're blessed for a purpose, just like Abraham was. He said, I'm gonna bless you and you will be a blessing. So I really believe God wants us to take the gospel around the world. He wants us to build churches. He wants us to uh, help orphanages. He wants us to help the poor. But we've got to come to a place where God, if you bless me, I'll use it for the right purpose. So I do believe God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. I was actually raised to be a good steward and to handle money and to understand that you can't spend more than you make. When I wrote the book, The Blessed Life, about giving and being generous, I got all these emails and all these questions saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm giving, but I still have credit card debt. And I realized people were thinking if I give, then my finances just magically come in order. And so that's why I wanted to write the book Beyond Blessed, because I wanted to talk about stewardship. Stewardship involves every area of our life, because if God owns all the money in my bank account, then uh, I don't even grieve if he asked me for some of it to use it for some reason. But it's more than just the money. He owns my life. So where I go, where I spend my time, what I look at, where I spend my energy, where my passion goes, even the, um, the aspect of having a devotional in the morning, uh, God owns my life. So why wouldn't I want to begin my day with God, you know? So that's why I wrote Beyond Blessed is because for us to truly live a, a life of blessing or a life that blesses others, we've got to be generous, but we've also got to be good stewards of what God gives us. In order to be a good steward, you have to have a budget. You just have to. You, you, you can't um, know adequately how much is going out and how much is coming in without putting it down, writing it down, having a budget. And I told our congregation, this really is one of the best freeing things that you could do because so many times we make emotional purchases. And so what you do is you allow the budget to make the decision for you. And so I was joking around and uh, I, I said, you know, you can just, when, when your spouse asks for something, you can say, well, I would love to buy that for you, honey, uh, but let me see what Mr. Budget says. Oh, Mr. Budget say no, <laughs> and I'm so sorry. You know, you can say, you know, Mr. Budget's mean, but I would love to buy that for you. When you live on a budget, then you really truly can manage your money so that you have enough to meet your needs, but you also have more to be able to help someone else. I think one of the most important things that any of us can do is to spend time with the Lord every day. Spend time in His Word, spend time praying. But when I say praying and in the Word, I mean spend time with God. One of the things that I absolutely love about Sarah Young and about Jesus Calling is it's a tool to get people to spend time with the Lord on a daily basis. And it's one of the most effective tools I've ever seen in my life. I would encourage everyone to avail themselves of Jesus Calling because the more time we spend with someone, the more we get to know that person, 
the more we get to know that person's heart. And that's the way it is with the Lord. You know, when Debbie calls me on the phone, now we have caller ID now, but back in the old days, you know, when we rode dinosaurs to school, uh, we didn't have caller ID. And so Debbie would call me and I'd answer phone, hello. And all she'd say is, hey. And immediately I knew who it was because I've spent a lot of time with her. I knew her voice. And I absolutely love Jesus calling because of that right there. Because it's allowing and helping Christians to spend a lot of time with Jesus so that when Jesus just whispers in our ear, hey, I want you to share the gospel with this person. I want you to give this offering to be able to help this missionary. We just immediately know that's Jesus. We don't even have to say, Lord, is that you? Because we've spent so much time with him, we know his voice. Pastor Morris's book, Beyond Blessed, is available from your favorite book retailer today. Stay tuned for our interview with singer-songwriter Matt Marr after a brief message about a new version of Jesus Calling. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about if you didn't have access to the Bible, or even were allowed to have one. This is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. One missionary said, I have never seen such a thirst for the Word of God in my country. Let's meet that need. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, as a thank you, Crew will provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of the Jesus Listens devotional. Simply text CALLING to 71326 to help today. Imagine just how much this gift could change someone's life. So text CALLING to 71326. That's C-A-L-L-I-N-G to 71326 to help now. Or visit give.crew.org slash calling. Again, that's give dot C-R-U dot org slash C-A-L-L-I-N-G. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Experience the hope of the resurrection with Jesus Calling for Easter. This book offers 50 seasonally themed devotions from Sarah Young's New York Times bestseller, Jesus Calling. Inside, you'll find resurrection truths, hope for the new season, joyous reasons to celebrate, and full scripture verses. Get your copy to create a daily reflection of hope throughout the Easter season. Jesus Calling for Easter also makes a wonderful gift to be cherished for years to come. Jesus Calling has a wide array of book styles for all types of readers. Now, there's something new that's designed to appeal to the men in your life. The same beloved Jesus Calling content now comes in a leather soft, yet durable slate gray cover that is perfect for the man on the go and makes a great gift for dads, uncles, brothers, whoever that special man is in your life. Check out the new gray leather soft edition of Jesus Calling today at JesusCalling.com or wherever Christian books are sold. God has used Matt Marr's life in ways Matt would never have imagined. Matt had a strained relationship with his father as a teen, and over the years, he slowly learned to peel back the image of his father from his image of God. 
As Matt himself has stepped into fatherhood, he's seen many ways God has used present moments to heal his past hurts. My name is Matt Marr. I'm a singer-songwriter and uh, worship leader originally from Newfoundland, Canada. Uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. I've been married nine years, have three kids, and uh, I love what I do. I grew up in Newfoundland, Canada. Newfoundland's a very, um, I don't want to say isolated, but it's physically isolating in the sense that it is it juts out onto the North Atlantic. It's the most easterly point of North America. Newfoundland was uh, kind of one of the fir first places where Irish, English, French, Portuguese settlers uh, came and for hundreds and hundreds of years because they were isolated, uh, living in outport communities, very unique culture developed and uh, faith was actually a huge part of it. You know, living in Newfoundland is a strong sense of, of culture, a strong sense of family and community and hospitality, but I think at the heart of that all is a strong faith. It's a harsh place to live in the sense that the winters can go on, there's a lot of rain. Where I grew up in St. John's, um, you're kind of just out there on the, on the North Atlantic, you know, coast and the wind is just kind of howling. Um, but faith was very much a, a, a strong um, current that I think that moved people and motivated people and inspired people and you know, the, one of the, there's an old order of monks called the Benedictine Order, and the first rule of their way of life is you greet every person as if they're Jesus themselves. And I would say that that was probably one of the most important things that I learned in growing up in Newfoundland is, you know, you treat everyone as if you are encountering the face of God. So my mother was American. I grew up, uh, about two hours away from the town that my dad lived in, which is called uh, Argentia, Newfoundland. And he, in the 40s, his whole family got relocated to a neighboring town called Placentia. The United States government had um, leased land uh, from Britain because at the time, Newfoundland was a colony of Britain. And um, they established a naval base there. Well, my mom in the late 60s, was in a folk group and they were touring American naval bases with a grant from the USO. My dad met my mom on the naval base because she was there doing a concert. She came to Newfoundland and lived there one summer and then her and my dad got married. And so they were they were married until around 1992 and they got separated. And, uh, and I moved, she moved back to the United States because she wanted to be around her, her parents who were kind of getting, they were getting older and so my mom decided to move back to Arizona where they had retired. I kind of at the last minute decided to move. Originally I was going to stay and um, the last minute I just decided I felt like I needed to go west. And by the end of the summer I was going back to church. It, it, it really wasn't a, you know, faith has never been something that's been a stretch for me. There was never a time where I didn't believe in God. I think there was plenty of time when I didn't realize how much God believed in me. One of the things that I realized that I was doing was I was projecting my dad onto God. But for a lot of people, uh, when it comes to the psychology of faith and how their faith develops, a lot of us end up having very stunted experiences of growth where we don't even realize that subconsciously we're still praying and talking to God the same way that we did when we were four or five years old. 
as a young, young child, I remember playing with my dad a lot and I remember him being very active. He had a lot of health problems and struggled with that. So he just became less and less active as time went on. He'd had five back surgeries when he, in his thirties, he struggled with alcohol. He never really, um, arrived at a point where he truly felt like he was successful in the way that he would have liked to have been. You know, my mom tried to get him to go to counseling and that was not something that you're not supposed to talk about your problems. You're just supposed to, you know, kind of live through them or deal with them. And it just would have been great to have a dad to like, when you go home at the end of the day, you could talk to about all this stuff and they could be, they could kind of teach you that, that sense of independence that comes when you're known and you know who you are and you can weather people just being foolish or kids being immature and teasing you because your haircut's different or you're not wearing the right shoes or, you know, your shirt doesn't have a particular logo on it or just stupid stuff that kids do in middle school. So there was just a lot of undoing that God needed to do. He needed to peel back a lot of layers, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of inner monologue where I was speaking for him. I gave my heart to Jesus for the first time, I think. I was 20, 20 years old, just shy of my 21st birthday, and uh, started helping out playing music at church. And I was also going to Arizona State University and trying to finish a music degree. And in the process of being there, I got offered a scholarship in the jazz department. Making the leap from being a jazz major in college to uh, writing contemporary worship songs, I feel like it's probably a trajectory that only God himself could course, <laughs> could plot that course. Um, doesn't really make sense. Um, and honestly, it, it doesn't really make sense given the things that I was naturally talented in as a young adult. I, I was not a great singer. And I think that's, to me, the one of the biggest comedic ironies of my whole career is that now I'm, I mainly make a living singing songs. I was in a rock band, I was a keyboard player. That's what I was. There's this weird thing when you're a songwriter, there's, you always feel like you're only as good as your last great song, <laughs> which, uh, which is one of the things that you need to kind of contend with with God and learn to let go. Even now in my songwriting, you know, I've always said that songwriting is, is it comes out of the overflow of the human, of the human heart that just is spending time with God. And that's how God made me to express life and process the things that I see or the things that I'm going through. And it's not about necessarily doing, but doing is important because we're human, like we're physical beings, you know? There's a lot of times where we spend so much time in our head or, or concerned with things and we never really get to a space where we're actually considering, well, what does God actually have to say about this? And I think what the great thing about the what Jesus Calling does is it, it just helps people once again get reoriented around that voice and how he speaks and how he speaks through the word and what it what it can do for you in terms of centering you and centering your day. This is the passage from Jesus Calling, September 22nd. Trust me and refuse to worry, for I am your strength and song. You are feeling wobbly this morning, looking at difficult times looming ahead, measuring them against your own strength. 
However, they are not today's tasks or even tomorrow's. So leave them in the future. Come home to the present where you will find me waiting for you. Since I am your strength, I can empower you to handle each task as it comes. Because I am your song, I can give you joy as you work alongside me. Keep bringing your mind back to the present moment. Among all my creatures, only humans can anticipate future events. This ability is a blessing, but it becomes a curse whenever it is misused. If you use your magnificent mind to worry about tomorrow, you cloak yourself in dark unbelief. However, when the hope of heaven fills your thoughts, the light of my presence envelops you. Though heaven is future, it is also present tense. As you walk in the light with me, you have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. It's a bit of a tightrope, I guess. We're walking where we're, we are, we're not fully, you know, what we do, but what we do is important. There's a propensity within me to just focus on the doing part and just say, well, I'm, if I'm doing all the right things, then that's great. And I, I think that it's not that he doesn't care about that, but it's just that he cares about also about the state of your being and what are, what, what are the things that are motivating you and why are you doing this? And that's, and that's just as important. You know, for me, fatherhood has one, been one of the ways in which I think God's brought a lot of healing into my life as I've been able to choose um, how to lean into, press into faith and grace and extend that to my kids. Um, it's in those moments in the present where God uses that moment. He repairs the past. A lot of the best things that I do as a, as a dad, I know I learned from my from my dad. You know, it's such a solid place for your identity to, to be formed in. So I don't have a lot of extremely painful memories with my father. I have a, a lot of it's just the absence of, of really good ones later in life. I think there was a, a point in my in my 30s, b- before I got married, because I got married when I was 35, when I had realized that, you know what, I would reached the point where I was truly grateful for my dad in every sense, because I'm like, he showed me uh, things as a parent that I know I don't want to emulate. And I've reached a point where I can be grateful that I know that. I could also grieve for him that he never got to, you know, experience freedom from that. I wanted to get my seven-year-old riding a bike on his own. He was like, Dad, all my friends are riding bikes. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And so we get this bike and the whole thing took two hours. It was was incredibly fast. And uh, it kind of freaked me out. But because that was one of the things that my dad never did for me was he never... My dad never taught me how to how to ride a bike, but there was this one point where he was riding the bike and he took a really bad spill and he started crying and I and he was I could see all this fear in him and I just said, "Buddy, courage is not about having no fear because you're gonna have fear. You're gonna be scared." I said, "The, the question is, how do you what do you want to do about it?" And I said, "You're gonna fall." There's no way that you can ride a bike perfectly every time. I said, the question is, what are you going to do when you fall? You know, and he's like, get back up. And I was like, yeah. And literally less than five minutes later, I, I, I was watching my son ride away from me and get to this point where he was like 250 feet away from me. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I could catch him right now if he falls. If he takes a spill, it is totally on him. And I'll be there 
And it was like my first real experience of letting go as a parent. But once again, it's like each of these experiences for me now as a parent, it it's incredibly hopeful in the present and it heals part of the past. You can find Matt's latest album, Echoes, at your favorite music retailer or streaming provider. If you're inspired by these stories and are looking for more encouragement about how God works through our brokenness, check out our interview with country music artist and producer Jay DeMarcus. Next time on the Jesus Calling podcast, we speak with music legend and singing sensation Gloria Gaynor. As she's traveled the world sharing her talents, Gloria has encountered people from all walks of life, and she reminds us that despite our differences, there is one key factor that unites us all. We're so busy fragmenting and, and, and majoring on minors that we don't get that, that we could do so much more for each other. We just need to, to come to understand and, and, and recognize and appreciate one another and recognize that we are each and every one of us made in the image of God. And that deserves to be treated with respect, with dignity. Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel on IGTV or on JesusCalling.com video.